All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. When our 34th year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 78 points or two-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about four points or one-tenth of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 51 points or four-tenths of 1%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 2%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 7.7%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 15.3%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, I, I, we were talking. Of a week. Yeah, I was about to say right before we started uh, recording the show, we were saying, "Wow, what a snooze of the week!" And I was actually just taking a quick look at volume, and I, I've noticed a consistent trend, really going back to April the sixth, that we have consistent volume on an average basis, about twenty plus percent below average since April sixth. Where where is everybody? I mean, is everyone just seriously sitting on the sidelines trying to handicap the unhandicappable? I mean, I have not seen the consistency of volume this light for this length of time looking going back more than a year. Well, I think first they want to hear what the the unemployment number was. Then they want to hear what the CPI number was. And now next week we're going to get an idea of what big cap tech, which is really what's been driving uh, the gains here in 2023, we're going to get some reports on on those stocks next week. So I think that's just I, I think the market has been in this holding pattern. Haven't and we every time I hear any Fed Fed talk, you know, any Fed person, whether it's a voting member or a non-voting member, I'm not hearing anything other than most are just saying we're going to we're going to be raising another quarter point in May. Did you? You, you put your hand up there, Joe. Well, well the, uh, on Friday, Richard Fisher, I think he's the past president of the Dallas Fed, was talking about right. yes. the general the general mindset is inflation is going to be higher for longer. And, of course, he made the comment, and I saw a little bit of volatility in the market when he made this, that, you know, 
it, it's a decent time to be risk off in the market. And all of a sudden the market dropped. I'm like, of course it does. You know, when, when, when Fisher's a pretty credible guy, but he's always been in the camp of continuing to raise rates, I believe. But Well, it would have to have been the algorithms that, that did that selling because yeah. from, a, from a volume standpoint, it is consistently – below the daily moving average and at a much lower level than weeks and and really months past. And like Jeff said, as far as a snoozer of a week, just looking at the technical chart, I mean, we talked about this on past shows. We've been kind of caught in this technical trading range uh, for quite a, a lengthy period of time, and it's just going to continue. And it, it, it you know, I kind of harken back to 2014, between 2014 and 2015, there was about a 22-month time period during the Obama administration where from 22 months in, in, in time distance, the S&P 500 didn't move one point. Now, there was a lot of frequency, a lot of movement between those 22 months, but when you take the two endpoints, one point to one point, not even one point of movement. That's what I, I call it the market's cha-cha, two steps forward, two steps back, and we seem to be right back into a market cha-cha. Well, let's hope it doesn't last for 22 months. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Let's let's hope that I mean, it doesn't if, do that. If it does, you better load up your portfolio with dividend-paying stocks and be glad that you actually have individual bonds in your portfolio. Well, and, that, and that's the thing. Right now, the difference back in 2015, you know, 2014, 2015, Jeff, maybe you can look this up during the commercial break, where, you know, interest rates were, but at least on the fixed income side of, of the balance sheet, we're able to, to lock in, you know, north of 4% yield to maturities. We've got position-traded money market accounts paying over 4.5%. And so at least for the chunks of money that you want outside of the stock market, you're finally getting paid a decent rate of return. You know, for all, all these years, there was always Tina. There is no alternative. Well, guess what? There actually is an alternative right now. And some conversations I've been having with clients, particularly how well the NASDAQ has done this year and kind of the resurgence of the growth stocks that we've seen so far and, and the profit taking from the value side of the market, I feel that the market is getting a little bit over its skis because we still have the Fed that's going to be raising rates week after next. We, I'd say you could take it to Vegas. It's going to be a quarter of 1%, but I have a feeling from there it's going to be let's hold, let, let's circle the field, let's see how much further things go on the banking side because I did read a report this past week that banks took $143.8 billion from the Fed's not only combination of the discount window but also the uh, bridge the, the loan bridge facility that the Fed set up to help banks with deposits that are leaving. Now, they didn't report the banks that took it, but we're consistently seeing over $100 billion a week, and I, I hate to use the word emergency funds, but funds taking from the Fed to shore up deposits. Well, from the market action, the market doesn't seem to be very concerned about that. No, because the, the Fed responded quickly, and you're right, they're not. But but here's the facts. $143.8 billion was taken this past week from the Fed to shore bank deposits. Well, well, Kyle, I mean, it we're also – we talked about it earlier in the segment about earnings. I mean, next week, and I've heard this so many times by the talking heads and, the, and what Kyle used to call the 
financial, financial entertainment show. press. It's going to be the Super Bowl of earnings next week. Okay, that's it's earnings season. It's the most important it, earnings week in all of our ever. lives. Right? Super Bowl ain't at the end. The Super Bowl is the beginning of earnings season. So get your popcorn ready, you know, and stay tuned for the earnings season. So. Well, this is this is again where patience is going to really be paying off, and again, having proper diversification, having active management, taking advantage of interest rates we haven't had access to in fifteen plus years, and just realize that this is going to be a slog, and this is again the reason why we're still in our moderate allocations, less than fifty percent allocated to the stock market. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to the Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, just continuing to recap Pretty much a, a, a more of a snoozer of a week on Wall Street. Very light volume, market moving sideways. I mean, really, for all intents and purposes, market was pretty much flat, with just a couple of tenths of a percent to the negative for the Dow, the S and P, and the Nasdaq. Um, but again, as we were saying in the last segment, you know, so far so good for the market this year. I mean, we're starting to see this continued recovery and more of the higher price earning multiple growth names where we've seen a lot of profit taking on the value side. And, you know, and I could say that for our portfolios, because as we build every single portfolio at Davidson Capital, we utilize an index base to every one of our uh, portfolios on the equity side, and we use that index base to be able to get money into the market very quickly, but also we use it as an ejection seat to be able to pull assets out of the market very quickly as well. Well, I can say so far year to date, I would say one of the biggest drags on the equity side uh, performance is our large cap value exchange traded fund that we that we use. Now it does pay over 3.3% in dividend income, which is great, but that just goes to show the profit-taking and kind of the shift of sentiment from value over into growth. But this isn't a position that we're going to be abandoning anytime soon because it has a fantastic long-term track record, in fact, a track record that outperforms the S&P 500. But I would say that when we look at our portfolios and what we've been recommending to every single listener of the MoneyWise program, is really kind of dividing your portfolio in growth and value participation. You know, you want to be playing kind of both sides of the fence. As as Dad has taught us, I mean, Jeff, how many million times Dad has said this throughout our career, it's better to be half right and half wrong than all right and all wrong. And that's how you hedge yourself. And so you have to have that diversification and have participation in those two major asset classes, growth and value. And we're, again, more primarily focused in the large cap arena. But as I said right before we went to commercial break, we have an asset allocation in the moderate 
asset allocation models at Davidson Capital of under 50%. In fact, we're right around 42 to 43% as far as equity exposure. But one thing I've been reading the past couple of weeks, and I don't know if you guys have been reading about this, is the pain trade. Have you guys been reading about that, the pain the trade? Pain, pain trade, no. Yeah, the, the pain trade, the way that they define the pain trade is that you really look at a lot of analysts and traders and options that are out there in the open market, and they're all pointing kind of more to the bullish they're, they're definitely much more in the in the bearish camp. Okay. But while they're in the bearish camp, what's the market doing? It's moving in a, more of a bullish pattern. And so they call that the pain trade because it's a pain to leave that bearish sentiment to then start participating in the bull as the market is continuing to kind of ooze higher. But how much of the market's movement upward in 2023 – is really laid at the feet of a limited number of stocks, mostly technology focused. This is true, uh, and and you know that's that we could we talk about breadth, you know breadth of the market. Uh, yeah, a rally's great, and if you own many of these stocks in your portfolio, which we do, or if your portfolio is heavily indexed to a lot of these stocks, then you're having having a good year. Now, if you had a lot of these stocks in your portfolio last year, you didn't have a very good year last year. You had a pretty poor year. <laughs> Bad you've, year. Had, you've, had, you've had a little bit of recovery this year, but you certainly haven't got back to where you were, say, at the beginning of 20, 2022. But I remember, you know, the, finishing up the market comments here this week, the reversal of fortune, you know, things, the, the, the stocks or the industry groups that did so poorly in 2022 have done so well this year. Now, are they doing well because their prospects are better or their earnings are better or their revenues are better or their growth outlook is better? Or is it just because they did so badly in 2022 that there's just money that automatically gravitates or rebalances back to them in, in the year following. Joe's got a big well, smile. Well, I mean, the, the point being on some of these mega cap stocks, they're beaten down. You're talking about essentially large cap growth, large cap value. It's like all of a sudden January 1 or whenever we started the year, January 2023, third. maybe the third came around, and all of a sudden the flip switched and value's out of favor and large cap growth's back in favor. If you look at the NASDAQ, it's up close, up over 15%, and the Dow's up about 2 I mean – it happens. It's, we talked about Callan charts. And you, it's a chart that shows all the asset classes. And it's just like as soon as it hit that, the very beginning of the year, the Callan chart kicked in. And whatever is doing the best last year is now not doing quite as well. Right. So, the reason the Dow the Dow's not doing as well this year is because, one, it's not dominated by big cap tech names. And, two, what does it have in it? A lot of financials. Financials. Mm-hmm. And it's only and it's and only 30 stocks. And it's only 30 and, stocks. Yes. And, it's, and, it, and it's only 30 stocks. But – but see, when, when again, when I go back and look at the technical side of the market and the volume, I mean, we're still just not we're, – we're not seeing the level of volume that is telling me that we're seeing a lot of commitment from the longer-term investors, the longer-term money managers. It's, we're still in the depths of this trader's – this kind of trader's market, a renter's market as opposed to an owner's market. And I think that's the other reason why we're still more in this in this kind of defensive posture in our portfolio, because, you know, Jeff can go into some of the economic statistics and there's not a whole heck of a lot of positive 
economic statistics. I mean, we got leading economic indicators well, this past okay. week, which I'm going to turn over to yeah, Jeff to go so into. Don't away so I'm not taking yeah. your thunder. Ah, mean right. little brother. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, housing starts uh, were down eight tenths in March. Existing home sales fell by two point four percent in March. Uh, leading in economic indicators, there's some dispute between the three of us whether it was the eleventh straight or the twelfth straight. Kyle read twelfth, I read eleventh. It's it's a lot, and there's never, with a capital never, not been a recession with this many leading economic indicators negative in a row. It's never happened. And to top that off, on a year-over-year basis, the index fell 7.8%. That's March to March, March of 23 to March of 22, which is not, which didn't even happen during the recessions of the early 1970s and early 1980s. As I'd mentioned, sales of existing homes, that was the 13th monthly decline in the last 14 months. Uh, in, employment is starting to show a little bit of weakness, uh, but, you know, we still got a long, we got a long way to go to get to, to four and a, I think the Fed wants to, Fed's target is is four and a half percent unemployment by the end of the year. You know, we're at three and a half. Now, I'm not saying... I, I, I'm Are they going to be raising rates to get that to get that result? That I'm I'm rooting for uh, more people to be unemployed because I'm not. But we've kind of been on record here in the last well last year or so saying that you know privately the Federal Reserve would definitely like to see uh, more unemployment because that would help them do a little bit of their job. But the two bank failures we had in March, I think, is probably going to help them more than anything in terms of tightening credit because we're already seeing that happening. And actually accelerates, I think, slowing of the economy, the claws sinking deeper into the economy with the banking failures because their lending standards are going to be tight. But I go back to a comment I've made on previous shows. It just boggles my mind that the Fed is going to sacrifice one of their mandates, full employment, for another mandate, and that's price stability. And we've all gone on. If we get to I know, four and a half, I know, I know, I know. Four and a half is still considered by macroeconomic standards still full full employment. But what what I just can't wrap my brain around, and I don't see why the Fed and all their thousands of economists can't realize, is that even if the nine point nine million available jobs right now are completely filled, we need two million more human beings in this country to take jobs that are still unfilled. So how do you get from point A to point B? You know, yeah, some of these big tech companies, you know, they're continuing. You know, Meta this past week talked about doing more layoffs. But they had ramped up their employment picture massively since right before the, uh, the, the COVID pandemic. And so they're basically just cutting some new hires, but they're still going to have tons more employees than 2019, even after they do these layoffs. So they're, these big companies, whether it's Google, whether it's Apple, whether it's Meta, Microsoft, they still have more employees even after all these layoffs than they did prior to the COVID pandemic. I know. You know, I was talking to one of my buddies earlier this week that works for Softy, and he's. But anyway, we can go over that after the break. But it's yeah, I was going to say, I didn't, 
I'm sorry so, to cut you off, Joe. I didn't want you to get into that point, and then all of a sudden we get cut off okay. by a commercial break. So let's pick up this point on the other side. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you, Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in to this weekend's Money Wise program, right before we went to commercial break, I was we were just talking about the Fed and their mandates, full employment, price stability, and the fact that you know they're wanting to kind of in their private conversations, not in front of the media, that the Fed would like to see the unemployment rate at least increase one full percentage point from three and a half where it is now to four and a half, which in the grand scheme of macroeconomics is still considered full employment. But I was making the point that some of the layoffs that we've been hearing from the large technology companies, even after all these layoffs have been announced, these companies still have a lot more employees today post layoffs than they did before the, the COVID pandemic. And I know, Joe, you were saying you well, were talking to a friend that works for Microsoft. And there's a little did. apprehension. Yes, no, he still does. There's there's a, lot, a little bit of apprehension out there within the, the tech sector. And, and I'd love to see some studies, but think about this for a second. If a lot of the layoffs from the tech sector, these are not your minimum wage jobs out there. So what I'm getting at is if they're taking a little bit off the top of the tech sector, and these are some pretty significant wage earners, you know, you're going to obviously see growth slow down a lot more because those are the ones that are spending on probably big ticket items. So, you know, well, inflation, they probably don't mind hitting that. It's the little guy or the middle class person that the Fed always talks about their mandate and trying to look at job creation and job loss. They want to protect the middle and lower class. So who knows? You know, maybe I'm speculating, but, you know, like we were saying, this whole banking situation and the money that's still coming out of the Fed to shore up these deposits for all these regional banks, smaller banks, this is going to have, I would say, an accelerated effect for bringing inflation down. Now, inflation, again, has been moving in the right direction. I think this will help speed it up. But we're still in the camp that we don't see the Fed cutting interest rates before the end of this year. Because if they did, we're, I think, all in agreement that we would have to have seen a dramatic slow down in the economy. And, and I think we would all agree that we're going to see a recession. We don't think it's going to be deep, dark, and nasty, more of a moderate recession. But the Fed, I would say, is is kind of coming to the end of the tunnel when it comes to raising rates. And I think the May meeting, it, it's going to be it. And then it's going to be circling the field and just wait to see how everything they've done going back to March of last year continues to work its way through the economy. So to, to you know, to me, if the Fed's got to get to two percent, they've got to get a whole lot closer to two percent before they're even going to start thinking about or talking about uh, cutting rates. Um, and so this this notion of higher for longer, which I believe I heard several Fed governors 
uh, or, or Fed representative people say this week. Richard uh, Fisher did on Friday. Yeah, he did on Friday. I think there was another. There was another uh, on, on Thursday. I can't remember her name that that talked about higher for longer. So to me, the, now we kind of switch gears here. This debate about you know how how long do these rates that were that that really came down a tremendous amount when those two those two those first two banks uh, failed? How much? How long is it going to take to get those those yields back to where they were before those before those bank failures they're making you know they're, they're marching back towards those t- towards those numbers they're not quite there yet i think the the 10 year was up like eight basis points this week which is but less the two than year one, the two year the, the, the two year move. i think the two year at one point since the last show touched 4.3 percent we didn't end the week week there, but we were over 5% at the beginning of March on a two-year, uh, and we had mentioned back, I think it was either late February or early March, that we had, we had bought a treasury of the 5% yield, and we've, we've had a lot of internal debates between the three of us, whether, whether we thought when rates were you know, just below four, whether that 5% was the high and whether we should deploy some more money, and, and the, the consensus was that we, we just felt like that this line in yields here recently has been more of a trade than a trend and that seems to be playing out you know especially when you can when you can put yourself into position traded money market fund and make 4.6 4.7% um do i really want to commit a lot of new money uh to an instrument that yields you know a government instrument that you know that yields less than that and the answer is no uh, not 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 in this environment because I just think we're going to trend back to the five percent number. Five percent may, and I'm talking about the two-year Treasury here, not talking about the ten. Five uh, percent may be the ceiling on, on the two-year Treasury. It's a big question mark. Just like uh, the lows in October of 2022, maybe those were the lows for this cycle. Uh, but if these economic statistics keep piling up the way that they're piling up, and and I have, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, and maybe you can talk about this in the next segment if you don't have it in front of you. So far, I think earnings have been okay uh, in terms of the reported numbers um, versus, you know, what, what was what was expected. But there hasn't been, to be quite honest, I don't think there's been a whole lot of reaction from the market broadly, either you know, one way or the other, because I, I think everyone's just sitting on their hands <clears throat> waiting on these mega cap tech names uh, that have been driving performance and see if they're going to come in uh, with earnings as expected or if they're going to lower their outlook. And, you know, if that happens, we may, and I'm going to underline may, because I think some heads may start to explode <laughs> here on the video, we might have to get more defensive for a period of time. I don't know. You know, if we if we're going to start trending back towards those lows again, uh, you know, just you know, here in the week just passed, all we did is add to one single stock, and that was after its earnings, and that was the stock that got you know got beaten down badly uh, during the uh, the banking situation there in the mid March, and but we didn't add to any of the others. We we haven't uh, you know though we've had earnings reported by several other stocks we've chosen to hold back for now you know i well, want to hear our, 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 yeah we got to hear earnings and our stair-step approach has been kind of pushed out a little bit further 
not only because of the hotter CPI and PPI numbers that came in from January released in February, but then compounded with this whole banking issue because the market doesn't repeat history, but it definitely can rhyme with history is an old saying. And, and again, this is what, everything we're discussing right now is the reason why we are still more in a defensive position when it comes to our asset allocations to the equity side. But the other reason why we're continuing to participate in large cap value, have a big focus in growth at a reasonable price stocks, which are called core stocks, because we're collecting north of a 2% dividend income in our total equity portfolio, and then getting north of 4% on the fixed income side. And so we have the ability to be patient and wait because there could, and I think could be some better prices to kind of continue to add some allocation of these stocks as we get further into the year. But all this economic data that we're talking about and everything the Fed is doing, I would we would just recommend to all the home gamers is don't get – the fear of missing out. Don't get too caught up in FOMO and seeing that the NASDAQ is up 15.3% for the year. It has a long way to go to get back to its all-time high. The S&P 500 has double digits that it needs to go up to get back to its all-time high on the first week of 2022. So the market has not left us. It hasn't left us. And for long-term investors, yes, there are some great buying opportunities but we're still not out of the the choppy waters just yet. We've got more time to go. So this is why we keep preaching patience, active management, but have participation in both growth and value. Yeah, Joe. Well, I mean, if you have some dry powder, which we have, since we have a position money, significant amount in a position traded money market account, we have the ability, if what Jeff's line of thinking was, we do have a little bit of, a, I don't want to say correction, but a 5% pullback or 10%, and that's handicapping everything. There was somebody last Friday that was saying there's 20% more downside risk, and I'm not in that camp. But I'm like, look, there's some good stocks, so have your buy list ready. So if that does happen and we have a 5% pullback or even 10 if there's some things you're going to be committed for to a long run, you're going to be, you, you want to be in a position to take advantage of that and build out your portfolio. There's some great stocks that Kyle and I and Jeff look at and like, look, if we can get this a little bit cheaper over the next five years, where's that position going to be? Because we've done the research, we've done our homework. And that's what you have to do, especially if you're a home gamer, is do your own research and know what you want to own. Not now, maybe not next year, but the next five years, maybe the next 10 years. And if you're close to retirement, how is that going to help you uh, get you where you need to be? From a retirement standpoint. Well, and, and, and I would say that we're not necessarily bearish. We're not necessarily bullish. I would say we're kind of neutral. Would that be a fair statement, Jeff? We're kind a of lamb. neutral. We're, we're, <laughs> we're not a We're not a bear. We're a <laughs> lamb. Okay. We're a lamb. Yeah, I like that. So, so, so a we're, liger. we're again, we're, we're a liger. We're more, we're more <laughs> neutral. We? <laughs> we're, we're more neutral, but while we're waiting, patiently we're going to collect interest income we're going to collect dividend income we've got our buy list we've got the stocks that we like in our portfolio and we've discussed on past shows the stair step approach that we have been adding dollars from an allocation standpoint on the equity side as their earnings come out but again the banking turmoil kind of pushed that for some stocks the first and second step further down the further down the course throughout the year, and we're going to hold that. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, in the last segment, Jeff was asking me if I could find some information about uh, first quarter 2023 earnings so far. And I did. Uh, find this information. It's as of Friday, April the 21st, uh, and I'm, this is coming from facts that the first quarter earnings season for the S&P 500 is off to a better start relative to the last two quarters. However, both the number of companies reporting positive earnings per share surprises and the magnitude of these earnings surprises are below their five-year average. So overall, 18% of the companies of the S&P 500 have reported actual results for the first quarter of 2023 to date. Of these companies, 76 have reported actual earnings per share above estimates, which is below the five-year average of 77%, but above the 10-year average of 73%. In aggregate, companies are reporting earnings that are 5.8% above estimates, which is below the five-year average of 8.4% and below the 10-year average of 6.4%. So better than expected, better than the previous two quarters. Um, But, you know, when you're looking at, I'm looking at, you know, their earnings for the first quarter today relative to the end of last week and relative to the end of the quarter, the blended earnings decline for the first quarter is negative 6.2%. So if the first quarter of 2023 earnings overall ends up being a negative 6.2%, this will be the second worst <coughs> decline in earnings. And the biggest was the second quarter of 2020 when earnings were down 31.6%. That was so first COVID. That was COVID. First COVID. So bottom line is, is the fourth quarter of 2022, we had earnings decline around 4.8% negative. So far for the first quarter through Friday's close, we're seeing a negative earnings growth of negative 6.2% in total. So, Better than expected, but still a negative number. So we got Google and Amazon next week. Apple is not till the week following. Uh, Microsoft is on Wednesday, I believe. Well, not, no, Microsoft is is on the Microsoft 25th. is the twenty fifth, yeah, yeah, which is Tuesday. So we've got Google and Microsoft the same day. We have uh, Google is on the 25th. That is correct. Yeah, so Google and Microsoft on the same day and Amazon two days later and Apple the, the week following. Um, <clears throat> so there's going to be a lot of attention paid to those, you know, those names here in the week, the next week coming up in terms of statistics, new home sales, doable goods. We got 
GDP, we've, that would be the first reading of first quarter 2023 GDP, pending home sales, personal income and spending, and PCE, which the, which is a important number that the Federal Reserve likes to to track. I see. They Joe used to use head. it. They used to use it <laughs> to PCI, make PCE unemployment, personal well, consumption yeah. expense. Yeah, P, personal consumption expenditures, Super, which is what, what PCE. Hold on, let me let me just educate. PCE personal <laughs> consumption expenditures used right. to be the data point that the Fed used to make decisions on interest rates, and have since morphed to the CPI, which then morphed to the Supercore CPI, although I didn't hear about Supercore at the last Fed meeting, so who knows? That's it. Who knows? Supercore. Wow. Yeah, maybe, maybe they, maybe they gave it up for Lent. Who knows? I don't know. But, so, but a, lot, a lot for the market. That was good. A lot but, for but the I, market trade on next week. For yeah, sure. but well, you know, all I would say to all of our listeners is to continue to be patient. Do not get caught up with the fact that the markets have started off kind of hot out of the blocks, relatively speaking, uh, compared to last year's, you know, down almost 20% for the S&P 500. We still have a long ways to go to get back to all-time highs that we've already reached. And as we get further away from the October 13th low of 2022, again, as the days go by, this could possibly be the low end of the cycle, but that doesn't mean, as we said earlier in the show, we couldn't see a 10 to 15% corrective move, uh, you know, from here. But so far, the market is absorbing earnings. We only have 18% of the S&P 500 companies that have reported, so we have a lot longer uh, way to go to get through the real meat and potatoes of earnings. As we said, have your buy list together dollar cost average in to a position. Don't just do a cannonball in the deep end into a, an equity position. Take your time and continue to collect higher interest rates on the fixed income side that we finally, we all finally have access to and keep your emotions in check. That is something I'm going to continue to harp on and we've harped on for the last going on 18 years of the Money Wise program. Emotions can do more damage to your portfolio than any market condition correction bear market ever could yeah if you've got a lot of cash on the sidelines you need to be in instruments that are yielding over four percent if you're not and in I wouldn't market, if you're not in a money market fund that yields over four percent you're not in the right money market fund and I wouldn't you, expect your your bank to be raising the interest rates they're paying on your savings accounts anytime soon because they have to well, create their net I, interest I, margins and with this banking fiasco they're going to be loaning a lot less. Well, I will say this, uh, CD, CD investors may have a little more leverage with the banks when it comes to, hey, I need you to, you know, when it comes time to renew that CD, you may have a little more leverage with the bank. Uh, so I'm just going to take it across town and get, you know, 20, 25, 50 basis points more. You might actually be able to negotiate your way in getting into getting a higher yield at your bank um, if you're if you're a CD investor. But if, you know, if you've got money sitting on the sidelines as a stock investor, uh, look for higher yield money market funds. They are out there, and you should be getting over four percent. And if you're not, you should be. But this is, you know, one other thing I want to say is that each and every individual out there, you know, it's okay to own stocks. And I had this conversation with a prospective client, now new client of Davidson Capital Management. Let's all not forget 
why we own stocks. We own stocks to participate in the American dream. And I know it, you know, for some, they might think that's hokey. But remember, when you own a stock, you own a piece of that company. And that company's job is to continue to grow and expand and become more fruitful. So be a long-term owner, a long-term investor, not a short-term day trader. Think about the long-term, focus on the long-term, and keep your emotions in check. And with that, we're coming up at the top there, our break. So we'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as as we like to utilize every second hour of the Money Wise program going into investor education, and any longtime listeners of the program know that we definitely love our top ten lists. Uh, I guess it's a little bit of an ode to uh, to David Letterman. Uh, but we have a top ten list for this afternoon's show called the Ten Myths of Retirement Planning. And so we'll dive right in with myth number one. And that first myth is you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. Now, this, I would say the financial entertainment press, the legacy distribution system for Years and years and years, as long as I've been in the business, which you know for me is coming up on 16 years I've been doing this, they have the kind of industry standard that you only need 70 to 80% of what you're currently earning while you're working in retirement to maintain your lifestyle once you are in retirement. And, you know, very honestly, what I try to educate prospective clients uh, that come in here to Davidson Capital Management is that we don't abide by that 70 to 80% of your current income in retirement to maintain your lifestyle. In fact, most instances I say you need 95 to 100% of what you're currently earning now. You need to be able to withdraw that same amount of money in retirement from your nest egg in order to maintain your lifestyle because the one, I think, variable that the legacy distribution system doesn't uh, – 
calculate doesn't uh, put into their calculation or account for is the fact that what's the one thing that you have a heck of a lot more of in retirement than you do during your working years? Leisure time. That's right. You have a lot more leisure time, so you have more time to travel. If you're into hunting, fishing, golfing, those are not cheap hobbies by any stretch of the imagination. Or now you're getting into new hobbies that take more time and more money. And so, you know, that myth that you don't need as much money in retirement as you do right now, again, I think is a complete myth and it's complete bogus. Do you want to add something, Jeff? Well, Go ahead, Dan. Well, I was going to say, also medical expenses. That's the one thing that uh, that's really the X factor, the unknown factor as you get older because that's, that's definitely going up. Well, that's true. We don't know the, the inflationary costs of medical care. Obviously, as you get older, you need more and more attention from healthcare professionals. Uh, but I think something else, Dad, that, that's a big unknown that's out there, and I think um, – I'm not even going out of limb on saying this, but with with the deficits that we currently face and the national debt, I mean, to say that taxes are going to be going down in the future, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. And so I think retirees are folks that are working towards retirement and building their nest egg. That's something that they need to keep keep in the back of their mind is, you know, they shouldn't anticipate, oh, well, I'm going to only have a 10 or 12 percent effective tax rate in retirement because nobody knows what their tax rate is going to be, and again, we're assuming that taxes will be going up as far as the eye can see because of the deficits, because of the national debt that we have. I think maybe turning this myth around and turning it into a question is something that we at Davidson Capital Management do time and again when we're meeting with prospective clients, and they ask this question, well, what do you think the portfolio can produce an income in retirement. They may maybe the, the maybe you don't know exactly what you think you will need, but maybe if you had an estimate of what the what your portfolio might produce if you were to retire right now or if you were to retire say 10 years from now at a certain rate of return based on the portfolio nest egg that you have right now and then apply our maximum withdrawal rate here that we have at our firm of 7% a year and say, do you think this number will be enough money for you to retire on uh, when you reach retirement years? Let's say that the, the that they bring a portfolio of a certain size, and we and we estimate that it'll grow at seven to eight percent a year for another ten years. And the number we start off with is a million dollars. We'll just round it off. Well, at our maximum rate of withdrawal, that's seventy thousand dollars a year, seven percent of a million dollars. So. Is is seventy thousand? Do you think seventy thousand dollars a year, based on a one million dollar portfolio, will be enough to keep your lifestyle where it is right now? If we find that there's that the the client is spending a hundred and forty thousand dollars a year on their lifestyle, then seventy thousand dollars in retirement. We're not even taking into account any Social Security, of course might not be enough to support their current lifestyle. So now we now we got to now we got to look at okay, are we going to start saving more now to increase that nest egg size so that we can get a little closer to uh, to that target uh income or do we need to think about uh lowering living expenses lowering lowering, lowering liver expenses, lowering expectations uh for income in retirement all three. 
Well, I, Maybe I, think, all three. I think one thing that a lot of retirees can get or pre-retirees can get in trouble is they go in with expectations that, well, my portfolio needs to be designed to where I'm, I'm outperforming the S&P 500 each and every year. And if you're creating a financial plan that takes that scenario in, 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 into effect, that is extremely, extremely dangerous. And by saying that, I need to have my portfolio outperforming the S&P each and every year. It's unrealistic. It's very unrealistic. And the one, one of the big problems that pre-retirees have going into maybe a professional asset manager relationship is they have unrealistic expectations. And what they need to do is they need to establish a goal, a plan. You know, my goal for this money is to grow 8% per year. Like you said, Jeff, let's sit down and work out a plan. And what are your goals? And say, okay, if you only need to earn 7 maybe 8% annualized over, you know, after all fees and expenses for a lengthy period of time, let's say the next 10 or 15 years to have a comfortable retirement, then that's really what you should focus on and how you should position your portfolio and allocate it. But if you're the type of investor that's like, i got to beat the S&P each and every year, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and failure because it is next to impossible to do. Well, when we come back from the break, I want to take a different approach. That's that's one type of client that we see uh, here at Davidson Capital, but there's also another type I want to talk about when we come back. Okay, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send our emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're focusing on the second hour of this weekend's program, the 10 myths of retirement planning. We're actually still working on myth number one. Uh, that myth, again, uh, you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. And so we were talking before we went to break about setting goals, and having appropriate goals in place and appropriate expectations in place with your nest egg as you're going into retirement. And, Jeff, I know you wanted to add a little bit to that. Well, that is that is one – we see this that this type of scenario with some prospective clients that are looking for maximum performance. They're, they're, they're very much focused on performance, and we understand that. But I think – Another type of client that we that we're seeing, and maybe this is an offshoot of of the, of the new target date funds that have been out here for about the last ten years, and that's this assumption that as I get closer and closer to retirement, I need to have more and more of my money in in bond investments and in fixed income investments, and less and less in stock because I need to be taking less risk. And so, by having more money in fixed income, well, that would be traditionally saying, well, I'm taking less risk. Well. That's all fine and good in a normal interest rate environment. And I use that in quotations. As, but this is not a normal interest Definitely rate Definitely not normal. And we have not had a normal interest rate environment for a very long time. And it appears that we may not have a normal interest rate environment for a number of years into the future. So... <clears throat> Having a asset allocation strategy 
that as I'm approaching retirement, I need to have less than what we would recommend an, uh, an allocation in stocks in the current rate environment and more of an allocation to bonds, but yet still have a uh, expected rate of return of 8% is not realistic. Mm-hmm. Is not realistic at all. And so m- maybe the two tie together is about having realistic expectations and understanding that in order to deliver those expectations, you have to have a certain ratio of stocks to bonds based on the existing current interest rate environment. Yes, Steph? Well, just say we were looking at a traditional balanced account, which in the old days would be 60% stock, 40% bond. Well, if you're at a 10% return in stocks, that means you're going to get 6% from your stock side of the portfolio. The problem is the 40% that would be sitting in bonds with a 10-year bond, you know, slightly, you know, less than three, you're you're not getting up to the 7%, which we have seen is a safe withdrawal rate going back our 25 years. But And it's because of the bond component. The bond component right now is changing the math on what people need for retirement. But I don't think the retirees are picking up on that fact, Dad. I, I don't think they are. And when you're talking about target date funds putting more money into bonds as people approach retirement, what is the most dangerous asset class out there right now? It is bonds. Fixed income. Because we don't know very how few the people Fed, say it. Very, very few people would say that. No, I, nobody would say that. I don't think other than people that run bonds like us. We either know, than us. Either we, than us. We know, we know that it's dangerous. You get the Bill Grosses of the world that come out and say it's a new normal. They don't want to come out and say it's a new bubble. They don't want to say the bubble word connected with bonds. So are we moving on to myth number two? Myth number two. Myth number two. My retirement years won't last that long. The fact is, today's today, individuals in their 50s and 60s, of course, are generally healthier than previous generations. So if you're 65 years old right now, your life expectancy is approximately 21 years. And... With a life expectancy of 21 years means that you have a 50% chance of dying by year 21 and a 50% chance of living longer. So if you're 65 right now, you have a 50-50 chance of, of living past 86 years old. And so that, again, goes along with creating that plan and having your goals and realizing, is my nest egg sufficient enough to sustain me till I'm 86 or till I'm 95. And if you and have, nobody knows. And if you have a 7% rate of withdrawal in your portfolio and you've got a 100% fixed income earning you 2%, you're not going to get there. It's not it may not last 21 years. You know, as I always as I say to prospective clients, if we all knew when the last day on this earth would be for each one of us, man, retirement planning would be so much easier, but unfortunately, and I guess fortunately, we don't know when that day is going to be. Myth number three, you can afford to start planning for your retirement a few years before your retirement date. In fact, it is never too soon to begin planning for retirement. Time is one of the most powerful tools in the accumulation of wealth. The sooner you start to accumulate assets and plan for your retirement years, the better, the less you will need to set aside each year in order to achieve the same objective. Now, I've talked about this over and over and over again for a number of years using the example of someone that was just fresh out of college that just graduated just got their diploma and they get their first job and if they had a if they this 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 1 million dollar 
goal to have in your in your retirement years. You start off your retirement with a one one million dollar nest egg. If you started saving when you were twenty one, twenty two years old, and you save for forty years to get to sixty two, the you would have to save what amounts to about a, skipping lunch every day, brown going bagging out, it, brown, by brown bagging it, going to work about about eight dollars a day. It's like two hundred and fifty dollars a month. If you save that amount of money at twenty two years old and you never change it, you would accumulate and you would accumulate about a million dollars at an eight percent compounded rate of return. You know what our listeners can do? They can just go into Google and Google the term time value of money and read the explanation. I mean, it's very, very simple. And, and again, if you're someone who's in their 40s, maybe in their early 50s, and you haven't started saving for retirement, I mean, this is when you need to buckle down and start putting the pedal to the metal uh, to, to try to save as much as possible. It's never too late. As we've always said on the radio show, pay yourself first. But this myth number three rolls right into myth number four for those individuals that have failed to plan for their retirement, and that myth number four is that Social Security will provide enough income for my retirement years. Bottom line, Social Security accounts for approximately 38% of the average retirement of the average retiree's income. So, uh, you know, you're you're talking, you know, 62% that still needs to be made up. And 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 again, to be very blunt. If you're relying on the federal government to take care of you in retirement, again, you are setting yourself up for failure. We all know the Social Security system is broken. It needs a substantial overhaul. Um, The fact that Social Security benefits with cost of living adjustments, or COLA for short, have become smaller and smaller and smaller over the years. if you're one of those individuals that's just relying on Social Security to take care of you, again, you're planning for failure in your retirement years and possibly working to the day that you die. You have to start planning and you have to start putting away. You know, if you follow myth number three, then you're going to wind up falling into the trap of myth number four. So myth number five, I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. Boy, this is extremely, extremely dangerous to think that a traditional pension or defined benefit plan is going to take care of you throughout the rest of your retirement years. And, and again, as, as we all know, uh, with the invention of the 401K through the Tax Reform Act of 1978, this is where corporate America has been going. They've been shifting away from the defined benefit plan. So there might only be a handful of listeners of this weekend's program that have the luxury of having a defined benefit plan. But we have always recommended at Davidson Capital Management that if you have the ability to take a cash lump sum distribution from your pension, and the, and the way that you can do that is, first off, your pension has to have over an 80% a funding rate by the corporation to take a 100% lump sum, and then if it has a 60 to 80% funded rate from the corporation, you can take a partial lump sum distribution, and then any pension that's less than 60% funded, you're going to have to take the pension payment. And I know, you know, one particular organization here in town 
that falls in that category of having an underfunded pension. But, you know, the one thing that they don't tell you when they give you the options that you can select at time of retirement, whether to take a lump sum or to take the annuity payments from your pension, is that these pension payments are not adjusted for inflation. So maybe that fifteen hundred. So that fifteen hundred dollars that you started receiving in your pension on month one and year one is going to be buying a heck of a lot less goods and services ten years from now. And I think that's one area that retirees forget that monetary inflation is eroding your purchasing power. And once you start taking that pension payment, there's no going back. You're done. You're locked out. That's what you're going to be getting for the rest of your life. And it's not adjusted for inflation, so each and every month that goes by, you're going to be able to buy a little less goods and services. So you need to keep that in the back of your mind, and that's one main reason, one huge reason why we recommend to take a lump sum distribution, if you can, from your traditional pension. With that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this hour about the 10 myths the ten myths of retirement planning. Um, we've gotten to myth, and we came to the bottom of the hour break. We're on myth number five, uh, which was I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. And as we went to break, was talking about what we recommend to prospective clients at Davidson Capital Management when you can take the lump sum distribution from your pension to do that, for one, so you now have full, complete control of those assets. Also, so you can put those assets to work for you in an allocation model that can provide you with growth and something that's going to be appropriate for you to help make that money last your entire uh, lifespan in retirement, but also to help combat, combat monetary inflation. Because, again, that's one thing that the pension provider is not going to tell you at a pre-retirement meeting is that once you annuitize that pension and start taking that monthly check, that's the check that you're going to continue to receive. It's not going to be adjusted for inflation. And so that $1,500, as an example, that you start receiving each and every month will buy less goods and services as every month goes by. So imagine, and think of it very easily, will $1,500 20 years ago buy the same amount of goods and service as it does today? No, because of monetary inflation. That is the one thing that is not discussed enough with pre-retirees. It's one aspect uh, of the market that, that individuals don't think about a lot and why I've always been a big advocate that every brokerage statement across this country should have a notation of what monetary inflation was for that reporting period so they realize, oh, I did lose a little bit of value in my CD because of monetary inflation or I lost value of my money sitting in cash in the bank vault because of monetary inflation. It, it affects pensions the exact same way. So myth number six, Medicare will take care of my health insurance. And 
I'm glad that this is on the list of myths because this is a conversation I have when I go through my financial road mapping exercises with clients. When we work with our clients that are working towards that retirement, I don't want to say retirement goal line. I would say retirement is the 50-yard line. So as they're working to the 50-yard line of the field to go into retirement, when I start, ha- when I have our clients work on their monthly budgets. I always want them to put in some type of figure for supplemental insurance to Medicare. I always tell our clients that do not rely 100% on Medicare. And you know the bottom line is, is that Medicare pays less than a half of a typical retiree's medical bills and that you have to have a supplemental plan. And, Dad, I mean, you're, absolutely. you're an absolute authority on this. No, no, because, no, that's, you're absolutely correct, Kyle. And so I always want to build into a retirement budget, and this is, again, an exercise for any pre-retiree that's working on their monthly budget to include, what do you pay, around four uh, $500 a month? It's getting more and more expensive. It is, okay. So your supplemental plan is getting more and more expensive. So I would say... And we've already reduced one of the portions of it. So would you say for a pre-retiree to maybe work in four to maybe $600 a month for that supplemental policy? Uh, Or even more? uh, Actually, it's going to to start to be more than that. Really? Yes. That's what it is. Maybe six to to $800? It's it's getting there. It's getting there. So the bottom line is, is that... Well, the problem is, at this point in time... Because of Obamacare, we, we don't totally know the effects yet. You know, th- this has not got through the system. And the other thing that doesn't come out in this that they won't tell you is you're not going to see all the same health professionals you saw before. Not every doctor wants Medicare patients. That's true. And so there's instances where your, your specialists are going to change. That's, not all, that's another myth, too. Is that you may You're not, adding myth number eleven. You, you may be going <laughs> you, to San Antonio to see someone you want to see. Myth: You can keep all of your current healthcare yes. providers. Yeah, that that's not myth. even that's your not, primary care. That's positions. not true on Medicare, much less Obamacare. So anyone working out a monthly budget pre-retiree, they need to figure in a health insurance cost, even if you're going into Medicare, because you're going to have to have that supplemental policy. Uh, myth number seven, all my assets are in safe vehicles for long-term accumulation and do not need to be watched closely. What the heck are I mean, safe vehicles for long-term accumulation? What do, what do they mean is, by that? There is none. Well, I, I know an annuity salesman would say this annuity, yes. this indexed annuity, th- this variable annuity, that's that's safe. It's quote-unquote guaranteed. That talk should have ended Hardy in 08 or 09. I mean, they, they might be talking about... Certificates of deposit, yes. or government bonds, yes. But those safe That's vehicles it. for long-term accumulation aren't accumulating a whole lot. I was in, about in, to say in, they, in today's interest rates, they need to define what is accumulation. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very loose term. Something right less there. than one percent is not accumulating to me. I, I mean, the, the the bottom line: anyone going into retirement with, oh, I've got everything in CDs, I've got everything in my money market account, I'm, I've got everything in fixed income, I'm safe, I can go on my trips, on my vacations, I can go play with the grandkids and the family, I don't have to think about it, don't have to worry about it. If you don't work with an investment professional who has discretionary control and is a registered investment advisor to manage those assets for you, then you're the portfolio manager. and you cannot- Well, there is a portfolio manager. Whether you hire one or not, you've hired yourself. 
That's right. Yeah, that that means that you're the portfolio manager and you cannot fall asleep behind the wheel and following this methodology of oh, I'm safe, I don't need to watch it closely. Again, setting yourself up for failure. This is why we've always used the Money Wise program to educate and to enlighten pre-retirees and retirees that you always have to be vigilant in your portfolio whether you're doing it yourself or whether you're working with an investment professional, it's something that has to be paid attention to. Well, I mean, you are the portfolio manager on your 401k plan. That's right. That That's right. If you don't have a self-directed brokerage option, and, and again, that brings up another important point, something that a lot of 401k plans don't talk about, is in-service distribution options for participants in 401ks that are age 59 and a half and older. If you're planning on working another five or six years, guess what? At 59 and a half, you have the ability to hire an investment professional, roll your 401k assets out into a self-directed IRA that you can now get professionally managed. And for someone who's amassed 500, 600, 800, a million dollars in their 401k and they don't feel comfortable with what they're doing in their own account, this is when you might want to start looking at your options as you're continuing to work and participating in the 401k for looking at a self-directed, either a self-directed or an in-service distribution option in the 401k. Um, So myth number eight, I can always use the equity in my home to add to my retirement income. Well, this might have been a thought pattern prior to the housing collapse back from 2006 and 2007, and with home values just starting to come back and well, revive. You know, they're bubbling up in here. There's no question about that. They, they are, depending upon what part of the country you live in. Um, but again, as we've always educated and always talked about here on the Money Wise program, is that you should view your house as where you live. Do not view it as an investment. If you have your house paid off, yeah, you have equity built into it. It's kind of a break glass in case of emergency type thing. But if you're developing a financial plan in retirement that revolves around taking a reverse mortgage out or taking a home equity line of credit out and and living off of the equity bills into your house, again, you're planning and setting yourself up for failure. And again, with the financial crisis back in 08, which again, housing market had a lot to lent itself to to that financial crisis. There's a lot of folks that still could be underwater, have zero or very little home equity. Uh, So we always say don't look at your house as a piggy bank. Look at your house as where you live. And if you have equity built into it, fantastic. But don't include it in a financial plan that, hey, this is a register that I'm going to be able to ring if I need to. Anything else you wanted to add? Myth number nine. If need be, my family can always help me out. This is my plan. <laughs> well, that's myth number nine. Yeah, right? that, that's myth. That's myth you say number myth nine. Number one. Yeah, myth number nine. The fact is that many people use this as an excuse for de- delaying retirement planning, but in reality, no one wants to rely on other family members to help them out financially to fund their retirement years. And if anything, these are the years when you want true financial independence and do not want to feel as if you are a burden on your family. There must be some very interesting Thanksgivings out there. I mean, the fact that this many people could be getting along, I thought it would be the last people that you'd want to rely on would be family members. Well, 
I, I mean, and unfortunately, again, if if you're the type of investor or the lack thereof, not investing, not planning, you know, believing in a lot of these myths that we've already discussed, then you're going to wind up falling into the category where you're going to be looking to your children or looking to other family members to take care of you in retirement and, again, becoming a burden on them. And, and, and I would think that that's, that's not a conversation that any parent wants to have with their child saying, well, hey, Sally, hey, you know, I'm going to be moving in with you now. I hope you have an extra uh, yeah, room in your house. Yeah, I'm going to be, because I did such a poor job planning for retirement, now I'm going to come live with you. How, what do you think about that? Or, or then the parents become a travel agent for guilt trips and say, well, I paid for your college. I did I all this you. for you. I raised you. You owe me this. I would recommend try not to be one of those parents that's a you owe me this kind of parent. You have to do the planning yourself and prepare for your retirement. Well, we're going to take our last commercial break. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up the 10 myths of retirement planning. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we spent the last hour of this weekend's moneywise program going through the 10 myths of retirement planning and we finally arrived at myth number 10 and that myth is money is everything when it comes to retirement planning uh, now, money is important, but it isn't everything because, again, you could have $4 million nest egg saved up, but you're spending $400,000 a year to maintain your lifestyle, and guess what? That nest egg isn't going to last too long. And so you could you could have been a fantastic saver, but if you're going into retirement with a massive amount of debt consumer debt, you know, huge house payment, a bunch of car payments, a lot of toys, high monthly expenses, and and you're leading this very, very extravagant lifestyle, doesn't matter how much you, you, you've saved because you have to pay attention to what you're spending. Yeah. It's about creating a proper balance. And, and, it's, well, and it's pretty rare that we see folks that have accumulated tr- large nest eggs but but also have been have really big spending habits. Usually, it's their nest egg is moderate to maybe a little below average, but they have big spending habits. Well, well what I see also is we'll still see people that save quite a bit of money, and then they get in retirement, and they're way too frugal. They're so afraid they're going to outlive their money, they won't even. Enjoy, real, enjoy yeah. some of the fruits of their labor. I mean, I see well, this it, more. It, it's 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 about a happy medium, a happy balance. But I think that it goes back to your point: is that retirement planning has to stay flexible. You have to be malleable because life can change in the blink of an eye. Markets change each and every day. Allocations can adjust. 
you have to be flexible. This is why we're such humongous advocates against, again, let me repeat, against annuities of any shape or form because it takes away that flexibility right. and that malleability. We're, we're very much against taking, if you if you work for a corporation that offers a, a, a pension plan and you and you take the pension payment and don't take the lump sum. We're very much against taking the pension payment because you're locking yourself in to this amount of money for the rest of your life. It will be never be a penny more or a penny less, and no one knows that that's going to be enough with your right. other retirement income to get through retirement. So, like like Kyle said, and then we we'll reiterate it again: flexibility is the key because markets. Don't stay the same. Life doesn't stay the same. I, I, and, to, and to me, of the ten myths, the one that 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 really I strikes a chord with strikes you strikes a chord. I would not even consider retiring without a supplemental plan to my Medicare. Do not rely on Medicare for your health costs, because that is the one guarantee. I would say you're definitely going to be using as you get older. So it's death, taxes, and increase in medical care, <laughs> increased cost of medical care. Yes. Those are the three now. It's not yeah. just death and taxes. Well, that's right. Inflation and inflation medical Inflation is all – I don't know that I've ever lived in, in two years in a row that we haven't had a pos, positive inflation. We've had inflation practically every year of my life. And, the, and, and if I've been living 48, I have no reason to doubt that the next 48 are going to have inflation also. Now, despite what the government says, current interest, current inflation rates being somewhere less than two percent, I don't know anyone that uh, isn't paying more than two percent for their living expenses, and so I'm a little suspicious of how the government's computing these numbers. And you know, we've always used at least a minimum three percent uh, inflation rate, and so if if you're if you're accumulating assets into retirement. And you unfortunately have received advice or believe that as you approach those retirement years, you should have less and less money in stocks and more and more money in a in fixed income or bond investments. There isn't a bond investment out there that has a uh, that is uh, what we would consider to be investment grade that's yielding more than three percent unless you go way way out well, there's the no one yielding seven and we're talking about in our experience our 25 years we've seen where you can take seven percent out of a balanced portfolio and still have a portfolio of the size still, but you what started I'm, with. yeah but what I'm saying yeah. is is that greater than the size you, you can't even with. get a fixed income investment that we would consider investing in that's investment grade that even reaches what we believe is is at least the minimum true rate of inflation. No, and, and, and again, everyone's inflationary rate is different, but if you're going into retirement anticipating that your inflationary rate's going down, not with medical care costs. No. Not with medical care costs. I don't think medical, co- Medicare costs are growing at, at 3% or less a year. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in, I think it goes college tuition, medical costs. And those are and the, probably and that, high single-digit rates of inflation. For for tuition, it's actually I've seen I've seen statistics it's double digits, with 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 college costs. So, you know the, the the bottom the bottom line is is that you have to prepare, you have to plan. As I've always tried to educate on this program, that if if you're listening to the show and you're six months, twelve months out 
from retiring. This is when you need to start getting on the horse and start interviewing investment professionals that you might be interested in working with, finding out what they have to offer, seeing how they work with their clients, find out if they're taking discretionary control and are acting as a fiduciary, as a registered investment advisor does like we do here at Davidson Capital Management, or are they only going to sell you investment products and do what's suitable for you, which does not which does not mean putting your interests in front of their own or the firm that employs them, you need to start doing that work in advance. Do not get caught behind the eight ball. I don't know how many times I've talked about it on this show, but since we're talking about retirement planning, I always want to bring this up. You know, I've met with some folks that get caught behind the eight ball and they're scrambling to try to figure out who they're going to work with they wind up making a very hasty decision because they sat in one sales presentation said wow that sounds good they threw around the word guaranteed a lot and guaranteed this rate of return and guaranteed that and all these guarantees well i'm just going to sign on the dotted line and then they're toast their portfolio is toast and they're locked into something they've lost their flexibility they lost their flexibility and the bill of goods that was sold to them was completely false smoke and mirrors and then they wind up regretting that and then a lot of times we wind up working with these people where we're having to unwind these hasty decisions that they made and sometimes can cost them quite significantly and it can't be done overnight exactly and it can't be done overnight so you know again you have to plan you have to prepare do not get sucked in to these myths and if there's anything that we can do for you at Davidson Capital Management, you want to talk about your your financial situation, give us a call, 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.